it's ball season time and it's coach firing time there's already been so much shakeup in the pac-12 already asu their coaching staff washington chris peterson just randomly steps down and it looks like usc will keep clay helton we're going over the pac-12 championship game all the coaching moves and everything going on in the conference I'm George Reister with Ralph Hampton, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, the coaching carousel kind of is in full swing, not just in the Pac-12, but around the nation. You got Lane Kiffin rumored to go to Arkansas. You got uh, USC maybe negotiating with, with James Franklin. Clemson's offensive coordinator, uh, there may be Urban Meyer, so much speculation. But then we hear that, you know, that Bruce Feldman and other people are saying that he may be retained, like I said. But uh, Chris Peterson, after we put out the last podcast, he said, I'm out. I quit. I need some rest. Some people think he's angling for an NFL job. Are there any more dominoes to fall in the Pac-12 before this season's over with? Completely. I don't think so. I think we're done with the head coaching moves. I think you'll see some assistants shift around after that initial signing day like you usually do. I think with the FCS and Mountain West openings that are out there right now, you might also see some movement. Um, But I think the major stuff is over with. If they were going to do something with Clay Helton, I don't see any reason on God's green earth why it wouldn't have been done already. I, I, I don't understand what it is that they could possibly be waiting for. Um, and I don't think that they would wait until after an initial signing day to move Clay Helton out of there. Then again, there's not really much of a signing class to ruin um, by doing something like that. But, you know, outside of maybe some coordinator positions flipping around, I don't see any other major dominoes falling, but obviously the major, major domino was one that we weren't expecting. And you and I were on the phone together talking about this Chris Peterson decision to step down and hand the reins over to Jimmy Lake. George, now that you've had a day to think on it, what's your take on the whole situation? Uh, I, I think two, two things. It's either one or the the other because there's not I so I Chris Peterson was the wide receiver coach at Oregon while I was there. And it's and he's always been a guy who's been about integrity, doing the right thing, you know, he's trustworthy, all of those things. So the the idea that some people floated, oh, you at that Washington must have something on him or something must must have gone on. I don't believe that that's true because he didn't cite family issues, you know, any of that. He just said he was tired and he's a, he's a guy who would actually, you know, who could just be tired from the way that college football has changed that the transfer portal, because he took a lot of heat this year from, from players being able to leave and, you know, and, and the Colton Yankoff thing. Uh, going to UCLA didn't want to make him eligible because he believes that is a core principle. And, you know, this is what 14th season as a head coach, he's 50 years old. That, that that's not, you know, old in head coaching. 
uh, years, but the way that the media pressure, all that stuff has, has added up these, these days, it's not like being the president where you age that quickly, but it is a very high stress job. And he may have just wanted some, some time off. I truly doubt that we won't see him pop up in a year or two years somewhere else. It just won't be at like Oregon or, you know, it won't be at a Washington rival. It may be somewhere else. Like if he chooses a complete change of scenery, you know, like Urban Meyer going from Florida up to up to Ohio State. But I don't think it'll be anywhere, you know, like that's a direct rival to Washington. Because I think he really feels, you know, um, loyal to that university. Yeah, I think that you already see uh, <laughs> there are already some University of Texas fans uh, that I've noticed that they kind of shifted their gaze this way and said, well, how much time do you need? Because if we go seven and five next year, <laughs> you know, we we may need somebody to step into this mess. See, see, I could see Texas. I could definitely see a Texas move. But, okay, so when when you look at Chris Peterson's entire body of work, at, at Boise State, he won 88% of his games. At Washington, 67% of his games. He was 54 and 26. But when you kind of put a closer examination on, on things, it's weird because he's been a really good coach, and he – has been able to recruit really well at Washington, bring them back to a certain extent, but something has been missing a little bit. Like he hadn't been able to fully get it to that, to that point because so the year that they went to the year that they, uh, they went to the national, the, the college football playoff, they got blown out and they've lost four out of their five bowl games while he's been at Washington. They lost the Cactus Bowl. They won the Heart of Dallas Bowl. I mean, but they were 7-6 and six that, that season. Um, they lost the Peach Bowl, lost the Fiesta Bowl, and then lost the Rose Bowl. And they don't really have any significant non-conference victories since he's been there because they haven't had a really good non-conference schedule. Yeah, I think that you're you're right that it, it hasn't been – perfect and that it's very very possible that people maybe overrate Chris Peterson as a whole I mean he's not a national championship contender year in year out but he is a very good coach and you and I talked over and over and over on this podcast this year about how ridiculous it was that there were people at Washington who uh, were beginning to grow tired of him. I thought that was probably the most ridiculous thing. And now they get to find out, you know, (laughs) the the people that were grumbling get to find out if, if, uh, if Jimmy Lake is actually what it's going to take to take the next step. You know, they had a couple of good years with Steve Sarkeesian, but he was not somebody, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is another guy who the, yeah. And, but he's somebody who, who the pressures of the job, like he, he was forced to kind of take a year off. I came up, uh, I'm, I'm the husband of a woman who was raised by a pastor. I've been around pastors for, you know, the, the majority of my adult life. 
it's a stressful job and those people need to take a sabbatical every eight, nine years in order to refresh. I think more professions should probably be the same way. And if you have the financial wherewithal to take a break and recharge so that you can continue to do your job in a way that honors that job, you know, like LeBron always says, you know, the moment I start to cheat the game is when I know it's time to, to walk away. Um, I think I just I think that it it's a healthy mindset and a healthy perspective and obviously a position of great privilege in order to be able to do something like that. Now, speaking of which, my pastor just preached his last sermon at my church because he's actually leaving uh, the ministry to go coach in college football. So we'll see how many years it takes for him to to, to need a break and 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 switch back. <laughs> um, but you know, I I just think that. I think that it's very, very possible that you'll see, you know, one or two years away from the game and Chris Peterson's ready to go. Some coaches do this and it's not their choice, you know, um, whether it's Urban Meyer with his health or Todd Graham getting fired. You know, you got a lot of people out there looking to get back into the coaching profession because the breaks are sort of forced upon them. You don't often see people do what Chris Peterson did which is I think he came out in his press conference and he said that he listened to some Eastern philosopher that said a man has two lives and the second one starts when he realizes he only has one life, which is basically just saying like, you know, you're not going to be here very long. So make sure that you're doing the most with your time and, and that it's the best for you know you and the people around you. And, and so I, I get, I get it. I don't think there's some hidden scandal. I would hate if there was, um, but that puts Jimmy Lake in charge. And I've, I've definitely got some thoughts on Jimmy Lake. Where are you at on that sort of selecting the defensive court? The, who's only been the defensive coordinator for one year. Well, he, you know, he was more of a recruiting specialist uh, for, for a long time before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he had been co-defensive coordinator prior to this season where he got the standalone title. But, but he won the play caller. Correct. I look at I, – I thought that this was a strategic move to keep the recruiting class together because the kids went there to go play for, for Chris Peterson and to go to Washington, but they also really liked Jimmy Lake. So I think it was a smart decision as far as that. However, when, uh, when, when, when you look at the Peter principle, where a guy is promoted, where where people in jobs are promoted to the level of their incompetency, and and then you figure it out whether they are competent at the job or whether they need to be in a lesser role. So Jimmy Lake was this was his first season calling uh, calling the plays. and next year he's got to be well this upcoming season he's got to be the CEO. So I wonder if there's been some grooming by Chris Chris Peterson because there were no whispers of this, nothing. So either he's been secretly grooming Jimmy Jimmy Lake or he just decided this on his own and he's put Jimmy Lake in a in a tough spot because yes he wants to be a head coach. He's had other head coaching opportunities like Colorado which he turned down, but is he ready? That that's the question. Is he ready to be a head coach? Because sometimes we get opportunities because of our talent, God-given abilities that we're not necessarily 
ready for and have the experience for. So we'll see how he's able to recruit and how he's able to, you know, if he's still trying to call the plays or whether he's going to hire a defensive coordinator. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's very, very interesting that two of the premier jobs in the Pac-12, well, three, I guess, if you count Clay Helton, uh, three of the the premier jobs in the Pac-12 were sort of attained by the person in charge, uh, either leaving or no longer being able to do the job, you know, in Sarkeesian leaving USC and 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 in your boy Willie Taggart going to Florida State uh, or now with this. Um, it's very, very interesting how people come about their opportunities. Jimmy Lake, to me, is a lot like Mario Cristobal in that he is, when I say elite recruiter, I mean, I, you could not, I could not put any more respect on his name as somebody who has the ability to get people out to Seattle. Like he, uh, I remember it wasn't that long ago, it was maybe 40 years ago, when I was sitting in a basketball gym uh, the night before Byron Murphy was getting ready to commit and we were watching him play a basketball game. And, you know, Jimmy Lake was just, he just flew out there just to watch the game, just to make sure that commitment was secure for, uh, for the next day. You had ASU there. You had some other people there too. Um, but I mean, he, it was, it, it, that was a kid who could have stayed home and played with his best friends, Nikhil Harry and Chase Lucas. And he chose to make the cross country trip to go play for, for Jimmy Lake. And that was, you know, that that was quite a coup, and and then you had he played for two years before being the first pick in the second round of the NFL draft. And so, I mean, you you watch the defenses that he's helped put together. If he can still have that hand over recruiting, um, and he can bring in other people and give other people opportunities and shape them sort of in his mold, um, great. You know, how will that translate on the field? That's the biggest question uh, I had for Oregon. When when Cristobal took over, now it's the question that I have uh, for Washington. I think that if he makes sure to bring in somebody offensively or a group of people offensively who know what they're doing, sort of the way that Mike Leach does uh, with the defense, even though that doesn't work, um, if you can bring in those people, then great. But maybe, who knows, maybe he has a good football bind on both sides of the ball and he's just kind of been waiting for that opportunity. Either way... Um, I think that it's uh, I think that it's a really really good selection by him, and um, your guy Gerald Alexander actually ended up giving a bunch of comments to Bruce Feldman uh, for the Athletic about about the hire. Just could not have endorsed him more than he did. Yeah, and he's getting an opportunity, and now uh, there are five black head coaches in the Pac-12 which is, you know, kind of unprecedented in, in college yeah. football. It, unprecedented, it, but 100% the way it should be. It should reflect what's on the field, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It, it's weird because I always believe that you should not hire people based upon, you know, race, gender, color, creed, any of that. But that it's always been kind of weird to me that, that you have so many of the players of the of the sport, but then it doesn't necessarily re- reflect in the coaching in any level in any way, and so that's always weird because you would think that the that as many people play that that would be reflective that some of them would want to coach and be really really good coaches, 
And yeah. now I think that with opportunities, especially with so many of them playing, uh, you know, key positions, key roles, and then getting into coaching and seeing uh, immediately and going up the ranks and all of that, I think that you're going to start to see a more reflective demographic of what the players look like. And But at the end of the day, those guys have to come out and have success for more and more people to get opportunities. Um, now, on the USC front, I just think it's – I mean, I – okay, so there's so many rumors going around about Clay Hilton. First, he was fired by by Adam – what's Adam his name? Maya. Adam yeah, Maya, the by, Sports by, Illustrated site publisher. Yeah. Who still has to tweet up. So he's holding out hope that he's right, the way he doesn't get fired. So no, no, no. He he updated eight, about eight hours ago, late, late, late last night. He tweeted that he thinks he'll be retained. Oh Lord! So so he had a double back, yeah. Yep. So you got Clay Clay Helton fired, and now everybody is unfiring him. Everybody's saying they believe he will be retained. Um, but. We know that Texas fired their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator and wide receivers coach slash passing game coordinator. And they want Graham Harrell, who is uh, USC's offensive coordinator, which was pretty much the only redeeming quality of the team this year. And so if they lose Graham Harrell, who helped Keaton Slovis, uh, I heard rumors that then that could trigger a Clay Helton firing, which could then trigger the James Franklin to USC or Clemson's offensive coordinator to USC at, because Urban Meyer's not coming. I, dude, I, Clay Helton's a good guy, and he might even turn out to be a good coach who's weathering a tough storm but at the end of the day, when there's so much money involved and the fan base is so upset, and the, like if he doesn't come out and win next season immediately, early, if they get demolished by Alabama in the first game, I, I, I just don't see how this has any positive thing going forward. Because I always say that you – have to evaluate a coach after every season, whether he went undefeated or or defeated and lost every game. And you have to examine two things. First is, is there a coach that you can guarantee get who's going to do a better job? And I don't think that USC can truly say that at this point in time, that you can guarantee get a coach that for sure will do a better job. Like if you have Chris Peterson at Washington, and then, but then Nick Saban says, "Hey, yo, I'm coming." You you will fire Chris Peterson if Lincoln Riley, if he they're, they're at Oklahoma. If Nick Saban says, "I want to come to Oklahoma ten years," here's the uh, deal, sweet sweetheart deal. They may fire Lincoln Riley. And then the other criteria is: Can you go into 17, 18, 19 year olds' homes and sell them on the fact that the future is brighter than the past? And I don't think – now, that question, I don't think Clay Helton can do, Ralph. Yeah, uh, here's the thing. I say it all the time. I'm going to say it again. These kids want to go to USC. If Clay Helton is retained at USC, you're going to see an immediate bump for a couple of other teams. Um, 
I'm hearing right now that there is a possibility. I'm not saying happen, but there is a possibility that ASU lands Gary Bryant and LeVon Bunkley Shelton. And those are both top 100 players in the country. They're both receivers. And you're telling me that these two California receivers, SoCal receivers, would rather play with Jaden Daniels six hours away from home than Keaton Slovis, who's going to throw the ball 15 more times a game right in their own backyard. That's crazy to me. ASU doesn't win those recruiting battles. And so, you know, then that would all probably stem from USC not making a move to, you know, because if, if USC fires Clay Helton and hires somebody, then the recruits in this class know that whoever they hire will probably be there for at least three to four years. They know that. So, um, you know, with Clay Helton, they don't know if he's going to be there tomorrow or not. You know, and I, I, I constantly hear, you know, people say, well, yeah, well, you know, but Clay Helton's a, I want to put out there, Clay Helton's a good guy. Yeah, he is, but the job isn't to be a good guy. The job is to win according to the standard that has been set by your predecessors and the expectation that's there for you. Jonathan Smith just went five and seven at Oregon State, and I'm ready to give him coach of the year. Right? Like Clay Helton and four, we're talking about firing him into the sun. So, it, yeah, but every see, see, and and the people I, I said this after the Oregon game. I was like, if they don't fire him now, they're probably not going to be able to fire him. I've, I'm happy that I was on the forefront of this uh, because I saw it coming. They were playing teams with losing records down the stretch, and USC is very talented, particularly at the wide receiver position. So those guys in Keaton Slovis could carry them to wins, which they did. They went eight and four. Uh, Pendergast's defense got shredded even by UCLA. Uh, ASU came back, came storming back and almost won. This was not a team that looked that great, but they won games. And they beat UCLA. They finished strong because Mike Bone said you got to finish strong. And I just found it. Into like, and then when when he said that, and Clay Helton, quote unquote, finished strong, I was like, dude, I just see the writing on the wall. And people are even questioning. They're like, why hire Mike Bone if he if his job was not to pick a football coach? I know they needed an AD, but but they I like they have so much money wrapped up in the Clay Helton twenty million dollars. Who are they going to get? I mean, like, who can be a splash hire? Can James Franklin be a splash hire? And then you, UCLA's arrogance is so crazy that you have their fans, like people who are donors, all of this stuff, asking, oh, uh, that that the reason why Clay Helton hasn't been fired is because they're probably in negotiations with Coach Ogeron or, uh, or Urban <laughs> Meyer or – I mean, this is like te- Texas fans that think that they can just write a blank check to anybody. I'm like, Coach Ogeron is not coming back to USC. It's not happening. Do you think at, L- at this point in time, LSU would 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 put a root on him and and pay him? Well, not 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 only like try to sabotage him with some voodoo, but they would then turn around 
And before even that, they would give him whatever they wanted. He beat Alabama, got them, just transformed the whole culture of the team. They're not letting him go. It's just like people thinking, oh, that that Texas is going to hire away Joe Brady, their offensive coordinator. He's not leaving either unless he gets a head coaching job. Like, stop it. The arrogance, it's got to stop. You are not, like, you, you can't just write a blank check and just steal whatever that you want. People are not just going for that. If it's not the head coaching opportunity, it's not happening. They're not going to leave LSU with this great situation to go to a worse situation and an unstable head coaching thing. It's not happening, Ralph. What, why is this arrogance there like that? I, I don't know. Winning winning does that. I mean, and you've, you've gotten what you wanted in years past. Um, you know for a fact that players want to come play uh, for you. I, I don't know. I think that it's just – I think it's that way with any – you know, I deal with some Georgia fans on my timeline, and they, they believe even more strongly that they can get whatever they want whenever they want. Um, you know, I'm sure that Clemson, after this recruiting, they get eight of the top 20 or whatever. You know, they're going to start feeling that way too if they don't already. I think it's just a, it's just an entitlement mindset. You know, once you've – once you, I don't know if Utah will ever <laughs> – get to that point you know they've tasted success and 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 their fans have a tendency to bit a bit be a bit ornery online who who knows what'll happen if they believe that it's their right to be winning these games and getting players and everything like that um i i think that you just you when when you you get used to success you forget what it's like to not have it and you think that you deserve it and nobody deserves success you have to earn it day in and day out and the window is so small you know people believe that that uh that you can you know just rest on your past glory days and that's the most interesting thing for me about being around Arizona State football all the time is is just how powerful 1996 is in the history of this team you know a team that didn't went to the Rose Bowl did not win it had a team full of incredible human beings and football players like Jake Plummer and Pat Tillman and on and on and on and on. But that was 23 years ago now. You know, there are ASU fans who expect to go to the Rose Bowl every year based on something that happened 23 years ago. The window is actually really, really small. If you start to decline and that's where your momentum is taking you, then that's where you'll end up. You have to do everything in your power to make sure that you win games and to make sure that you stay modern and to make sure that you stay in the minds of recruits and that you keep things fresh. Um, and if you're not doing those things, all it takes is two or three seasons and then you are who you are. Yeah. And that's where USE, if they are, all right. So if you put together, a recruiting class like they had last last year, it was decent, but it wasn't stellar like they like it would normally would be. But I would argue that it got a lot better once Keaton Slovis turned into Keaton Slovis, that 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 he turned into a five star player, even though he was only a three star recruit. Um, but this year, when you stack on top, you know, not great recruiting classes back to back. You've actually put together a gap in your team. So it actually takes you longer to come back. So I, I 
I just don't see how USC can restore the faith in the coaching staff for recruits to be willing to sign up for this when they know that the talk for the next 12 months is going to be about his job. I mean, I mean, (laughs) it's crazy because you have so many job openings right now. You got Arkansas open, which some people are rumoring that that's going to be Lane Kiffin's job, or it could be Mike Leach's job from Washington state. There's Boston College open. Florida State is open. Ole Miss is open. Missouri's open. New Mexico, Old Dominion, Rutgers, which uh, hired Greg Schiano, uh, South Florida, Charlie Strong got fired. Uh, UNLV, who might who might get your boy Ty Graham, Texas, San Antonio. Uh, I mean, dude. Like who, like, how are they going to find great coaches to replace all these players that I mean, to, re, to, re, to replace all these coaches? Cause you got Tony Elliott, the Clemson office coordinator. Um, you got Brett Venables, who's not going anywhere. Clemson's defensive coordinator, Josh Heupel at central Florida, the Billy Clark dude at UAB. I mean, Mike Norvell at Memphis, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. But there are more uh, jobs open than people who would necessarily take them. Because if you're Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, are you going to leave a good situation at Cincinnati to go take take Missouri? Or are you going to stay there and wait for a big-time head coaching job? Would you leave it for Arkansas or Boston College? Probably not. I think coaches are seeing that, uh, like the coach at Iowa State, where he's like, uh, I can build something here. I mean, I granted it is a Power 5 program. But he's like, I can build something here rather than, you know, than chasing a big-time job, which is more stress, more headache, and I can do a good job here. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to believe that that's the case. I think what you've seen, P.J. Fleck and Matt Campbell sign extensions instead of take the big brand name jobs, and I think that one of the reasons is you you can you get to the point where you're making a certain amount of money. You have to ask what it takes to be happy, you have control, and also which fan base is going to be pissed off when you don't have everything ready to go within two years. You have to have some patience. You know, you got Chip Kelly out here doing some in-person recruiting all over the state of Arizona. His face has been popping up in my feed because um, he's out here hitting the road. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of criticism of him of him sort of being uh, the, the Wizard of Oz man behind the curtain when it comes to recruiting. But, you know, he he's out here, and I'm sure feeling the pressure of wanting to make sure that things are turned around um for year three but how i mean how did we get to this point in the first place where people believe that a whole staff should be disassembled after one year or two anyway you know when when did we get away from believing that somebody should have the ability to bring in uh their own crop of recruits and set their own culture it's it's absolutely crazy to me that so many people have bought in the idea that you can fire your way to success when that's never been a thing, not sustainably anyway. 
And it's, it's just not a healthy culture. It's not really a healthy way to live. And there has to be some pushback against that in saying that, you know, if, if we bring somebody in, we are going to give them X amount of time before it even crosses our mind unless some egregious violations are taking place or some type of abuse of, of, of the system um, that, you know, removes your faith in, in that staff's ability to do their job. You have to have a certain amount of time before you even consider something like this. And if people would agree to do that, then you wouldn't have to do dumb symbolic things like sign coaches to a one-year contract extension every year just to convince recruits that they'll be around for four years when recruits look out and see that people are getting four-year buyouts all the time. So I don't know. It's an incredibly unhealthily run profession, and I would just I'd really like to see it get back to the point where you know coaches are just given time to do the job that they're going to do. Uh, but then you have a guy like Clay Helton who has been in his position for you know four years now, and recruits are rejecting the idea of him being there in order to preserve what you are. You know, maybe you do have to make a move in that case. I, I don't know how USC gets itself out of this situation without firing Clay Clay Helton. I mean, the only other thing that they can do is is pray that they go out and win next season because, I mean. All right. You know so, what's going to happen is he's just going to get a bunch of like hints from people within USC of like, oh, Chris Peterson's taking a break, huh? That must feel really good. <laughs> there, <laughs> there's so much pressure in this job. I bet it feel really good just to take a sabbatical. Why don't you give yeah. Chris a call and, and, and see what beach he's on right now? Yeah. <laughs> I and, think and, people just be dropping Clay Elton ants. Like, maybe you should just quit. Because they are already – like when 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 you look at their 2020 schedule Clay Clay Helton is in a impossible situation and this and this may be why some head coaches could be balking at taking the the job right now because okay you 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 have to think that USC and Carol Folt the president Mike Bone that they see the writing on the wall and that they want to get a good head coaching candidate but they may not be able to get one at this point in time. And it may be because of their 2020 schedule. Listen to this, Ralph. They start out against Alabama in Texas Stadium. A mad Alabama. Yes, they're not going to have, yes, they're going to be starting out with a brand new quarterback, but their defense should be back healthy. Nick Saban is pissed off. He's going to be a curmudgeon from now until they win another championship. So Alabama. Then they play New Mexico at home. Then they play Notre Dame, who Florida State, for some reason, believes that they can get Brian Kelly. Get him to leave Notre Dame to go to Florida, Florida State. Maybe. Then they play at Arizona, at Oregon, at Stanford. And, oh well, the the uh, the uh, time and dates are, are are to be determined. Sorry, they play at Arizona, at Oregon, at Stanford, at UCLA, and at Utah. And then they have home games against Arizona State, Cal, Colorado, and Washington. That doesn't look like a schedule that you want to start your season out with. Like you already know that 
You, you know, no. like, like that, like that Alabama game could just start your season off with a disaster for a new head coach. Yeah, I mean, it, you read that often. Eight and four would sound good to me next year, but you know, you know, these fans are <laughs> be happy about it. Yeah, so there's no way that they're going to be happy with whoever comes in next season. So it may not be as attractive as as people thought. But we can go on to what's happening this year with, with the bowl games. So there's the Pac-12 championship on Friday, which, Ralph, you did some investigating on the price of tickets to get into the stadium for a Pac-12 conference championship game what did you find well i was just looking at what what it would cost some people uh like if you were going from salt lake and you were flying into san francisco median ticket level uh, prices are around 500 bucks if you're going to san jose the minimum ticket price is around 700 dollars um it, there are tickets available for less than a parking pass and when i say that that's that's without revealing that parking for this game is forty plus dollars, uh, which is crazy to me. Um, but yeah, I found tickets available on StubHub for as low as thirty five bucks, uh, and I found yeah, but that's got to be in the five hundred section, right? Oh no, 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 no! I think they have all those upper deck sections closed off because what's the point? You know, you're not going to have that many people out for this game anyway, as is every year. It's just been a terrible site to have the game. Um, but I, I, there are like 50 yard line tickets for a conference championship game for as low as 200 bucks. Wow, dude. So LS, LSU in Auburn, I'm sorry, LSU in Georgia, their lowest ticket price is 178 bucks lowest. And that's in the roof. Army Navy, 166 bucks. (laughs) Ohio state, Wisconsin, 50 bucks. Clemson, Georgia, of like fifty-five bucks, dude. They, they are the the the, the Pac-12 tickets. Uh, well, at least they're higher priced than Cincinnati and Memphis, though. Yeah, yeah. Since uh, that that game was played last week, so there's probably plenty of people that were like, "Oh, well, I've already seen this." Yeah. So you got, um, uh, I th- th- there. Uh, when you give, when you knock people, you also have to give people credit. I think we got to give the Pac-12 credit this year, at least, because the game, instead of being on like FS1 or being on Fox, it is on ABC, which should, which people normally turn to for their college football, unless it's the Big Ten, which is more major on on Fox. The a, the game is on ABC. You got Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit. The whole gang is going to be doing the game, which should at least make it more prominent, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought that was a hypothetical question. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Utah is favored by six and a half points. And the over-under is 47 and a half. What's your pick? Bro? I like Utah. I like Utah in this game um, for some of the reasons that you and I talked about on the last episode, which is just, you know, how oddly they've gone out of their way to make Justin Herbert more one dimensional. Uh, And not that being one dimensional is a bad thing if you can do it right or if or if. 
the play calling is creative enough or if you're getting people open. And I think that Justin Herbert has more than, than enough talent. But if, if Justin Herbert's not going to be mobile in any game, the one that you, the one that you don't want that to be is the one with three defensive linemen who are all probably, you know, day one or day two NFL draft picks. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's the, the primary reason for me is that Herbert's shown a little bit of weakness in, in the last couple of weeks. And that's not a good time to go up against a team that has averaged over the last eight conference wins, eight games in a row, averaged a 39-10 to 10 victory. Jeez. See, I hate to be the one to say this, Ralph. I hate to be the one to say it. But, so Utah's favored by six and a half points. And I think that this game hits the under dramatically. And it's forty-seven, like la- like last year, last year dramatically. What was last year's six, score? Was it yeah. six to nothing? Dude, it was it was terrible. Oh and goodness. I'm sitting there like I'm say I'm saying, all right, man. I believe Oregon's defense is good enough to stop Zach Moss running, and Utah's wide receivers aren't a big enough threat in terms of speed wise. Or greatness wise to just tear up Oregon's secondary. So it's going to have to be this is the game Tyler Huntley is gonna have to be great. Because Oregon's defense is good enough to hold Utah's offense down. But by that same token, Oregon's offense has been stymied by Arizona State, who's not a great defense. They got some good pieces, but they've been shredded at times. Arizona, they had some trouble with Arizona, who's a Swiss cheese defense. They weren't exactly stellar against Oregon State. Only really scored 10 meaningful points. They got a last second uh, Cyrus Habibi Likio touchdown with like under a minute. Like, it's just not like they've been stymied by terrible defenses, but then. Played well against Washington, who who shut down those same teams. It's so confusing. And I would lean toward it, it like everything that it says says that Utah should win this game. But Oregon has like played up and down to its competition. The better teams that they've played, the better they've played. So, Ralph, I'm going with Oregon in the game. No bias. No bias here. Even though I'm an Oregon guy, I just believe that they do step up to the level of their competition. And if the, and if their offense gets stymied in this game, granted, Utah is an, a top-tier defense not only in the Pac-12, but in the country. Like, this is one of the best Pac-12 defenses of all time. Like, top 10. If you get stymied, by them with Justin Herbert, a first round quarterback, then and better talent wise, like in terms of athletes, recruiting classes, all of this stuff, then Utah, you get stymied. You have to make a change at offensive coordinator, d- d- despite how good of a recruiter um, uh, Arroyo is. I don't know. I, I don't know if you would have, to, you know, you're, you're a little bit closer to things than. 
than me, but if, so you're saying if Utah does to Oregon what it has done to everyone, that that's Arroyo's fault? Or are you saying that it just it's just a big-time coaches make big-time calls and big-time games type situation? Because, I mean, it, it it's, uh, who scored the most against? Washington. Um, against Utah this year outside of, uh, yeah, so in, 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 a, in a loss. Because in a win, USC got 30, and it was obviously with their third-string quarterback. But Utah had some coverage issues. They made a gamble. It wasn't a smart one, and, and they got beat. Utah has classically struggled with the air raid. They figured out how to beat Washington State this year in a down year. But, you know, they, they ended up losing that one game to USC. It was not one that either you or I were surprised by can Oregon take advantage of that and sort of be a pass-first offense and take the top off? Um, and then can the offensive if, – if, if there is any offensive line in the conference that can actually give Herbert the time to do something like that, that I think that, you know, it's going to be Oregon's offensive line, but can Herbert do it? That's – is it in Herbert's nature to just sort of be a quick decision, quick release guy? Well, what what Oregon had been doing is relying on quick screens so much, and then teams have been just biting up on things and and pressing the the wide receivers, not allowing that quick game. So, I, if Utah does what they've been doing all season, yeah, that'll be great on Utah. But the problem with that is, and is that is that you couldn't blame Arroyo just for this one game or the offensive system or anything like that for this one game. But you can blame it for the struggles against Oregon State, against Arizona, and against Arizona State. And last year's struggles offensively as well. You know, at, at some point in time, I mean, or Oregon's only running like 60-some, like 67, 69 plays a game, which is not very many. Like, that's one of the lowest in the conference. Like, yeah. you know, like their games are short. <laughs> they're not they're not playing four hour games. They're playing like 245, 235. These games are over quick. Uh, the only thing that makes them long is the national is the national TV aspect of it. That's what makes them long. So I, I believe that Oregon has a chance to win this game. I believe they should win this game. Because I think that the Arizona State loss was an aberration. But if they if they get completely shut down offensively, then this is a symptom. E- even if, even if they lose and and but have a good offensive performance, that's better. But if they get completely wiped out offensively, then it's a sign of bigger things, I believe, for for the guys at, at Oregon. This is what I'm interested in because you you're picking Oregon, but you're saying the under is going to hit. So does that mean that Utah's not going to score? The the under is only forty. I uh, mean, is forty seven and a half, which is super low. Because the under in the Big Twelve Championship is sixty three and a half, and Baylor is not a big time offensive team. The and the. Under, and then it's 55 and a half in the ACC championship and 56 and a half in the Big Ten championship. So, yeah, I guess I just I, I guess I just don't see Utah getting held to under 24. I feel like if Oregon's going to win, 
they've got to outscore them because I think Utah is going to get theirs on offense. And getting theirs on offense isn't going to be anything spectacular. Um, you know, that they're not going to be able to run it up on a really, really good defense. Um, but I, I feel like they're probably going to get between 17 and 24 points um, regardless of what happens. I mean, I just put that as a baseline for them. So in order for Oregon to win, you know, to, to me, you know, if, even if it ends up being like 27, 24 or something like that, then you're probably in danger of of, uh, of, of not hitting on the under if you are a gambling man. Yeah, I, um, but maybe, I don't know, maybe Oregon shows up on both sides of the ball. I, I say it's going to be an ugly game. I, I think we're looking at yeah. like 13, 10. We're looking at you know fourteen. Well, that 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 would mean Oregon would have to make two two field goals. So uh, no, I'll go 14, <laughs> 14, 10. or just miss one. Extra oh oh point. yeah oh yeah oh okay. So I, I'll I, yeah That's I'll go back with my original <laughs> thirteen ten thirteen ten four. I love I love how you fixed that for me because that's definitely a possibility. He's missed multiple extra points this year. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and, and he's missed multiple extra points, uh, Cam, Camden Lewis, and multiple under 30-yard field goals, which is atrocious in, in good weather. But whatever. I, I digress. Um, but the <laughs> the uh, bowl games, Ralph, we got um, – oh, where are the bowl games? You have um, obviously Oregon – or um, Oregon or Utah going to the Rose Bowl. You also have, um, and then and then after that, it gets a little bit tricky because you have um, the Rose Bowl available, the Alamo Bowl next, the Holiday Bowl, the Red Box Bowl, Sun Bowl, Las Vegas Bowl, and then the Cheez It Bowl. Um, and this is the last year that the Las Vegas Bowl is going to be so early in the bowl season. It's moving to later next year. So um, most most people pick Oregon to go to the Rose Bowl because they they believe that regardless that if Utah wins, they're going to the college football playoff, which then puts Utah in the Rose Bowl. And then the next team up would be USC who they believe is going to go to the Alamo Bowl and Washington probably to the Holiday Bowl. They have them Holiday Bowl, Sun Bowl, Red, Red Box Bowl, all of these bowls, and Arizona State Sun Bowl, Holiday Bowl. What do you what do you make of this bowl situation, and how do you think the conference is going to do? Because they got Washington State, Cal, Arizona State, Washington, USC, Oregon and Utah. So seven teams available to go to bowl games. I think the one thing you can always depend on is that a bowl won't take the same team two years in a row if it has a choice. Um, And so, you know, that eliminates Las Vegas for Arizona State. And they could go to the Holiday Bowl if if, um, Oregon is not there. Um, I think that you'll probably see USC and El Paso. Um, you'll probably see Cal at the Red Box Bowl. My guess is ASU ends up in El Paso, and you have um, maybe Washington State playing in the Cheez-It Bowl in Phoenix. 
could be an option for them. Um, it, it's all sort of a wait and see where Utah and Oregon end up. But I think that, um, you know, I, I think that this year, it, it gets really, really hard for these bowls to be tiered when everybody's like four and five in conference and seven and five overall, you know? <laughs> so when everybody has the same record and stuff, it's not necessarily, you, 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 you tend to not believe that one bowl is more glamorous than the other. Um, interesting one for me is who would end up in Las Vegas against what is going to be a very good Mountain West team when the Mountain West has been kicking the Pac-12's ass. Um, I think it's it's definitely time for some revenge. So whoever, <laughs> I think. So I'm get my guess is if Memphis beats Cincinnati again, they'll get a New Year's Six bowl, which would maybe put Boise State, a potentially twelve and one Boise State, oh. in Las Vegas, and that would be a nightmare matchup. They've already. Whoever, oh man, whoever yeah. Whoever game. gets that game is going to be in trouble because the se the the red. The, the Rose Bowls versus the Big Ten, Alamo versus the Big 12, Holiday Bowl versus the Big Ten, Red Box versus the Big Ten, Sun Bowl, ACC, Las Vegas Bowl, Mountain West, and the Cheez-It Bowl, the Big 12. Why can't why can't we get a bowl game against the SEC? We got three against the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, well, you, 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 you might get one. <laughs> you might get the college yeah. football playoff. Yeah, and I – Okay, so if Utah gets in the college football playoff, I think that they will that they may shock the world. I think that they have shocked the world potential. Do you agree? Uh yeah. I mean, I, I would not have said that this is a national championship level defensive line if I didn't believe it. Um, I think the rest of the defense is just fine when compared to any elite competition in the country, and LSU can get scored on. And if you have an efficient offense and an elite defense, there's absolutely no reason that you shouldn't be able to compete. Now, could Joe Burrow elevate his game in, you know, in, in that situation and show that he's, um, he's above whatever, how good your defense thinks it is? Yeah. I mean, he's having that kind of year. Um, there, I don't think that Utah matches up very well with, Ohio State, um, but I think that if it's Cle- just this year and this year only, I think if it's Clemson or LSU, I think Utah can be very. I definitely agree with that. I definitely do. Um, we will see what happens in the conference game. Know for sure where all the bowl teams are headed extremely soon. Uh, there are a couple guys though who have declared for the draft. You have JJ Taylor, which. It, you know, he's like 11th in the Pac-12 in rushing. But, you know, may, maybe he just wants away from Kevin Sumlin. And Lavishka Chenault is going to the draft, which is, I think, the optimal move for him. You know, he's not going to – his stock is not going to get yeah. any any higher. He's proved that he can catch the ball, make plays. He's proved that he's tough. You know, he's re- he's NFL ready. I, I And, you know, I, I just – but you said that Jack Jones may come out from ASU. Yeah, I mean, you you have a situation where Jack Jones is a, playing on a blue shirt. You know, his scholarship doesn't even really kick in until January. Um, I had heard he had a baby, uh, and you know, this was somebody who was in the same recruiting class 
as Byron Murphy and Nikhil Harry and all those guys and rated very, very far above them. Um, he's definitely got the skills to be an NFL defensive back. Does he have, um, does he have the, the dis- his talent is there? Does he have the discipline? Does he have the wherewithal to make sure that happens? I mean, I, I, would, I could see him making that move. Um, you know, I'd have maybe a, uh, maybe a sixth round grade on him. I have a late fifth, uh, early sixth round personal grade on, on JJ Taylor. He reminds me a little bit of that Brian Hill, uh, running back out of, uh, out of Wyoming who went to Atlanta. And then I think LaVisca Chenault is a, he's a day two wide receiver. I think he's, um, I think he's a second round wide receiver because of the questions about his durability. Uh, but (laughs) anybody who has seen him knows that he is a very, very, very special player and impact player. And I think that he, he'll, he'll uh, be able to elevate his game wherever he ends up to being at the very least a number two NFL receiver. So um, uh, as far as other players in the conference, though, if you were Hamilcar Rashid, would you stay or would you go? I would stay. Sometimes college players get caught up in stats they're like, oh my, oh my, 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 my stats look just like Chase Young's. Yeah, but it's not quite the same. You know, stats can yeah. sometimes be deceiving. He had a good year, but there weren't times where you felt like, oh my God, this dude is just taking over the football game. And you should only believe it. As a player who left early myself, <laughs> you should only leave early if you are dominant at what you do and or you are going to be a physical phenom at your testing like if you're going to test off the charts fast jump high like if you know that your measurables are freaking fantastic not just upper tier but fantastic like if you're a tight end and you know you're going to run 4-4 or maybe four three, like like you saw um, Vernon Davis do, or like you saw the uh, Mark Ingram uh, Ingram kid from Ole Miss at the Giants. Then then yes, then and you're and you have some stats and some film to boot. Then yes, making that move is not a bad move. But if your measurables are just going to be I or upper tier, don't do it. Don't do it. Stay in school get and be dominant and then you'll get an opportunity he is long and tall and big and he, he probably plays a little bit bigger than he is he's listed at six four almost 240 but in order to be a hand in the dirt defensive end at the nfl level like you probably gotta comfortably carry 255 260 pounds and i mean look at look at the the amount of time it took Jordan to dust from being sort of that hybrid stand up um, outside linebacker to a true like four three defensive end, and maybe they shouldn't have forced him into that role to begin with. But you know, Hamilcar Rashad's coming from the same high school. He's you know got a little bit of the same build. I think he should. I think he should probably just take his time to mature physically. I think you're right. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. Um, but you, you guys, we will be back on Monday. <laughs> with the Pac-12 Apostles podcast with all the news because we will know everything about the bowl game. We will have the results of the Pac-12 championship game and um, everything else. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Thanks a lot uh, for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Peace out. Catch you guys later.